0: morning everyone you can be making your way to exodus chapter 17 Um, just a couple logistical things before we get into the text this morning Um, thank you for responding to the call of the band-aids but like moses now i'm lifting my hands and restraining the giving okay (laughs) Thank you so much for your graciousness. We've just started a new corporation, Brennan and I, on the distribution of Band-Aids. And, uh, <laughs> oh, but serious, thank you. I've still got two on two toes, and it's a little painful to walk, but it's getting better. So thank the Lord. I- I've had a number of questions about the uh, commentary that I mentioned yesterday. Uh, if you're going to do a web search on it, it's called the Old Testament devotional commentary series. Uh, I've labor before the Lord to try to bring Christ out in exposition throughout the entire Old Testament, shadow, allegory, types, and also application. And it's a 14-volume set. Um, Sarah will be asked, is it published? I'm I'm saying, yes, it is published. Uh, You can get it in um, Kindle, Nook, EPUB. Uh, It's also, if you want it right now, you can get it on -on print-on-demand. It's a little bit more expensive. But I'm also printing a number of sets in Canada. They'll be shipped here next month. And I'm offering a very low cost price for all 14 sets. So if if you have questions about that or want more information, you can see me, give me your name and email address, or you can email the address I gave you yesterday, Publishing at gmail.com. So enough of that. Uh, Let's think about where we've traveled thus far. In our first session, we saw what the flesh is. And then in our second session, we saw how the flesh behaves. And then yesterday, we thought about things that the flesh doesn't like. And we saw that the the flesh doesn't like testing. But yet, testing is a normal part of growth. And without testing, our faith doesn't get refined. God doesn't bring that quality of patience in it that needs to be there. The flesh always wants to look back. It doesn't want to look forward. Uh, It doesn't look in anticipation at the character of God and the promises of God and expecting what God might do for the honor of his name. And then we saw that the the flesh doesn't like uh, spiritual food. It will always make excuses not to feed on on God's word, not to be before the Lord, right? Uh, Even in a place like this, the flesh is constantly pulling us away from what we really need. And so um, we just recognize that. And then lastly, the flesh doesn't like to remember. And, uh, but we need to remember God's goodness. Count on it for the future, right? And uh, that leads us into our study this morning in Exodus chapter 17. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, "Give us water that we may drink." So Moses said to them, "Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt or test the Lord?" And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, "Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst?" So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock, a particular rock in Horeb, and you will strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel, because they tempted or tested the Lord, saying, is this, is the Lord among us or not? So, uh, Nate made the, um, the statement, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that uh, in our Bibles, this word testing or tempting is really the same word. Uh, in the Greek, it just means a proof of something. So we have unholy solicitations from the devil— Appealing to our flesh, our carnality, to try to get us to go His way, but then we also have godly testing for purification of our faith and to bring us uh, more, bring us more Christ, bring more um, in our character. So today I want to think with you now. What is God's program for dealing with the flesh? There'll be six points as we work through the text, and actually it'll be a little while before we get to the first point. I just want to comment on these first. Seven verses. Now, you remember back in chapter uh, 15, coming 14 and 15, they come out of the Red Sea. God has delivered them, wiped out the enemy. He brings them down to the Sinai. He sets a table before them. And um, before they got to Sinai, remember they went three days and there was no water. Right? They came to Marah. The water was bitter. They couldn't drink it. And they complained to uh, Moses and um, complained against the Lord. And so God showed Moses a tree, and when he cast it in the waters, it made the water sweet. It's a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus, the satisfier of all legitimate need. And they drank, and they were filled, and they were satisfied. Well, here we have the people of God in the same exact trial again, and yet they're complaining to the Lord. They're without water. Now, this is something we need to realize about God's trying and testing us. So the first three days, here's a trial, and and God is like a balloon. He goes, and we're like, oh man, that is so uncomfortable, and it challenges where we're at. We don't know how we're going to respond until we're tested. Faith that's not tested won't be trusted. And then as we rest in the Lord, we yield to the Lord, we yield to truth, he gets us through that trial, and at the end of it, we say, wow, thank you, Lord. That was hard at the time, but it's better now. Well, now it's been almost two weeks since we've read of water. So now the Lord is taking them deeper into the wilderness. It's a deeper trial of the same nature, and he's going, right? You ever feel like that sometimes, like you're going to pop? Well, Beloved, the Lord wants to get as much capacity out of you as possible. So your whole Christian experience, you're going to be going, Right? That's what the Lord wants. He wants to expand us. He wants to make us Christ-like. So expect that as we go on with the Lord. And we want him to get the most glory. Amen? The whole reason we're here on earth is to make him look good, to give him glory. So uh, as we rest in him, there's a greater capacity. Now, we have another beautiful picture of Christ here. Uh, God tells Moses, he says, You take that rod, which pictures God's authority, the one in which Aaron and Moses struck Egypt, ten plagues. It showed God's authority, God's wrath over Egypt. He punished the Egyptians. He punished the Egyptian gods. He said, You take that to a specific rock that I'll show you at Mount Horeb, picturing the Lord Jesus. And then we have the authority of God, the wrath of God, the judgment of God striking that rock in front of the people. And then the waters come gushing out. The life-saving water. Now, the Lord Jesus often would use Jewish traditions in the New Testament, which had developed as a result of some of these Old Testament stories to teach of himself. So in John chapter 7... Um, at the Feast of Tabernacles, it was an eight-day feast, for seven days, the high priest would take a gold pitcher, and he would leave the temple, and he'd walk all the way down the southeast to the spring of Gohan and he would get a pitcher of water, and he'd walk all the way back to the temple, up the steps of the temple, and he would pour the water down the steps of the temple. And that was to remind the people... Of how God saved them in the wilderness by bringing water from the rock. Actually, let's just look at this. This is in John chapter seven. We can't miss this. John chapter seven. So sick for seven days. That's what the high priest did, and then on the eighth day he didn't do that. So it reads in verse thirty-seven, John seven thirty-seven. On the last day, or the eighth day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, which he goes on to explain is the picture of the Holy Spirit. Beautiful, isn't it? Lord says, that, that rock that was struck in the wilderness, that was a picture of me. And if you thirst, if you are, your soul's thirsty, you come to me, and if you drink of me, you'll never be thirsty again. That's the message in John 4 with the Samaritan woman, right? And you get these blessings, not river of living water, rivers, an abundant flow. Power of the Holy Spirit manifest in our lives. The communion of God. The blessing of God, day after day. So, that's what's being typified for us here back at Exodus chapter 17. Now, I just want to make this quick little um, excursion. When you get to Numbers 20, now Moses, this is some 30, 38, 38 and a half years later, as Moses... Is now led the people faithfully through those wandering years. He's brought them up the eastern plateau. They're ready to come over into Jordan. Um, again, they're without water. And God tells them, you take the rod that is before me, and you go to the rock before the people and the elders, and you speak to the rock, and the water will come out, and I'll supply the people's needs. But do you remember when Moses and Aaron, they were so... Uh, irritated the Lord's people, they assumed uh, a position that wasn't theirs over the people. They called the people rebels, and Moses struck that rock not once, but twice. And that broke the type. It angered the Lord. Not only was there disobedience, but the Lord Jesus will only suffer once for sin forever. You just take a little meander through Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10, and you'll find like seven times he was offered once for sin, never again. Today, he's our high priest in heavenly places. We come before him. We speak before him. It's a great mercy of the Lord. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4.15 says we could come boldly before the throne of grace, and we just ask. And as our great high priest, he gives. He longs to give. He wants to give. Now, the rod that Moses hit the rock with in Numbers was not the rod of Moses that he held over Egypt and brought judgment. It was very particular, he says, the rod that was before me. That was Aaron's rod that had budded almonds and blossoms and so forth. It was to be put in the holy place of the tigernac- tabernacle before the Lord. Can you imagine that picture of Moses taking this a budding almond branch with fruit on it and beating the rock? How it must have damaged that? It just totally destroyed the the picture of the fruitfulness of Christ's priesthood, the the resurrection life of Christ that he offers the believer. Now, we get into the subject matter of the flesh in verse 8. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. I just want to stop there a little bit. Uh, Frank, I'm going to pull down my imaginary map again. I don't know if you heard that. Two days ago, I said, I'm going to pull down my imaginary map. And Frank says, I see it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to pull down the imaginary map. And uh, here we have Israel coming to Egypt down to uh, in the Sinai to Mount uh, Horeb the mountain of God. God is going to reveal his holiness there. He's going to reveal his law for his people. And as they're coming down, there's this people group called the Amalekites. Again, Amalek was a grandson of Esau, that that carnal man who sold his birthright for a bowl of bean soup. Um, Profane man, the scripture calls him. So these were his descendants. And as uh, the Malachites would normally stay up in the highlands where it was cooler and their, their flocks and herds could graze, and then in the winter months they would come south where it was warmer. Well, it's, it's now like the May time frame and it's getting warm, so they're headed back south and they run into about 2 million, 2 million plus trespassers and what they fill is their land. In other words... Uh, they had perceived rights over the land. And the first point is this. In God's program f- dealing with the flesh, um, he doesn't honor the perceived rights of the flesh. He doesn't, perce- he doesn't honor anything that the flesh would assert itself as saying, this is just, this is fair, um, the flesh is corrupt and all of it is. Well, the uh, Malachites thought, this is our land. Now we learn from Deuteronomy 25, in 17 and 18, Moses uh, gives this later. By the way, I didn't discover this just till last year when I was studying Numbers and Deuteronomy. I believe the whole book of Deuteronomy was probably written in eight days. Uh, you know, it's, uh, Deuteronomy means second law. So God is, uh, Moses just reminded the people of what God said. It's right before his death. And so um, Moses is recounting this situation. He says, you remember when, those, when we were coming down the Mount of God and uh, the Malachites ta- uh, attacked us, but they came around the backside and they attacked the, those that were straggling back, the weary, the faint-hearted, and so forth. That's what the Malachites tacked. And it's an important lesson here. When is your flesh the most likely to get one up on you? When you're tired, weary. I want to tell you, be careful next week. <laughs> This is about as close as it gets to heaven on earth, a conference like this. We're around believers, you're hearing God's word, uh, it's encouraging, it's lovely, uh, but next week the reality sets in, and you're, after a big week like this, you'll be tired, especially if you've done some major hiking, you're going to be fatigued and tired, right? And uh, that's when the flesh will get one up on you, be ready for that. Right? Big weekend. You go home and you say, oh, I'm just going to be a couch potato. I deserve this. We turn on the Babylonian tube, whatever, and we just let the stuff come in, right? <laughs> the Philippians 4.8 filter goes down and we just like, uh, you know, just, just a zombie. Just let it come in. Well, the man of God and woman of God has to keep that filter up all the time. Recognize that we're spiritually, we need him more when our flesh is weary and tired. I know that that's when I'm most likely to say something I wish I never said. So we need rest. We need the Lord's substance. We need His satisfaction. So, um, point number two Israel was delivered from Egypt, they were slaves. The Lord decimated Egypt, he brought them out of Egypt to picture the world, and he also brought them out of bondage. And now he set this table for his people. And for the first time in this chapter, they're going to go into battle. But the Lord never calls his people into battle until, one, chapter 16, they've eaten the bread of heaven, right? The bread of life which came down from heaven, and they drank from the rock. You cannot engage in spiritual warfare without feeding on the bread of heaven a picture of Christ and having the replenishing strength, the fortitude that comes from the Holy Spirit. I remember one time uh, when I was working with an underground church in China. Um, I'll spare you the details, but we just had a woman who uh, we were sharing the gospel with. I was speaking to her through a translator and um, she'd been doing a lot of pagan things. And as I was talking about her, all of a sudden she snapped up and started swaying back and forth, chanting gibberish. She was gone. And she had been demonically possessed. She couldn't hear a thing we were taking. So we got her up. And we, uh, my translator, Liam and his wife, were, were carrying her in the room and put her on her bed. And we were going to come in and pray over her and sing over her. And as I'm coming in the room... My translator turns around, he puts his finger right there, he says, "No sin, no sin, just like that. In other words, this is warfare. You cannot have secret sins and expect the Spirit of God to work with you. So if we're going to engage the enemy, if we're I, I've seen things by the way, what that would um I, for years, I didn't even talk about them, things in China that would scare you. But as I've grown in the Lord, I now know that in Christ, we are invincible and immortal until Christ takes us home. We have nothing to fear. You can go right into the lion's den if you're walking with the Lord and have nothing to fear. But I just want to tell you no sin. You cannot serve the Lord and have secret sins. We need to be eating the bread of life. We need to be experiencing the water from the rock. Amen? All right, number three. It says in verse nine, And Moses said to Joshua, Choose you some men and go out fight with Amalek. So there's this preemptive strike. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Again, this is the rod of the authority of God over the situation. That's what the rod stands for. So Joshua, whose name means Jehovah's salvation, exactly the same as Jesus in the New Testament, Jehovah's salvation. So now we see the the typology transferring from the rock that was struck by God's authority and wrath and judgment brought the blessing to us. And now we're going to see the next phase of that blessing in the person of Joshua. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. And Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. We'll pause our reading there. So far we see God doesn't have any respect for the perceived rights of the flesh. We see we cannot engage in any kind of warfare for the Lord unless we're feeding on the bread of life which came down from heaven and having the infusing power of the Holy Spirit Thirdly, we see that the victory below is determined by the intercession above. So you have Moses. He's got the authority of God, the rod. He's high up up on the hill. He's holding it up like this. But his hands are getting weary, right? Moses is 80 years old. You ever tried to hold something above your head very long? Like hammering. I can hammer like three minutes above my head and I go, you know, I got to get blood in my arm again. And so, um, one of the things we see here is to make intercession before the Lord takes work. Hudson Taylor said, prayer is work. Save energy to pray. It's, I think, probably the weakest aspect of most Christians' life. I know it was in my life for many years. One time, I, uh, for a whole year, I kind of just asked elders in churches how much they were spending in prayer. Five minutes, ten minutes a day was a typical... One brother said, I'm so busy, I have no time to pray. Well, if we're trying to serve the Lord and not not withdrawing from Him, getting the ample uh, strength and energy, all that that we need, we're not going to do anything for Him. You're better off to pray and let the Lord work. Uh, So we see that uh, praying is its work, and we need to save time for that. And thankfully, there were two that came alongside Aaron and her, and they hold uh, Moses' hands up. He still had his hands on the rod, it's picturing God's authority of situation. They set Moses on a rock, and his hands stay steady the whole day. This is great encouragement to get with other people to pray. Pray uh, privately. It is an encouragement uh, throughout the week to pray with different brothers. Uh, I call it a prayer web. Establish a prayer web. By the way, if you have uh, adult sons and daughters, don't forget about praying with them. Uh, Tuesday mornings is uh, this, the morning that my son Matthew and I pray together. I just, I so enjoy it. Uh, different brothers. And uh, we have the technology to do it by phone, by by Skype, FaceTime, all these technological things. It's very easy to pray. Um, our daughter is involved with a, a young ladies' prayer group on Saturday morning, and they're all over the place. They're all over the country, but they get together in a conference call and they pray together. We need the Lord, and we need His power and in intercession. We need to intercede, and we need His power through that intercession to be faithful. So the victory below is determined by the intercession above. Notice it says in verse 13, so Joshua defeated Amalek. Was anybody with Joshua? Yes, there were other men, but the scripture records Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Joshua, picturing the Lord Jesus, God's salvation, it says he defeated Amalek. Well, there are some with him, but who is knowledge for the victory? It's Joshua. Who's acknowledged for the victory in our lives in day-to-day circumstances? It's the Lord Jesus. It's the same. Joshua was among God's covenant people warring against the flesh. Today, the Lord's within us battling the flesh. And so it's a beautiful picture. And uh, the fourth point is the flesh must be brought under Christ's control, which means mortification, right? Right? So we have the sword. Flip over with me to um, Ephesians 6. I want to show you something, because oftentimes I hear believers, this is my sword. You know, we talk about sword drills. Beloved, this is the word of God. It's only a sword if you know it and can apply it properly, right? It's not a sword unless you're reading it, memorizing, meditating, and know how to use it. When Paul is talking about spiritual armor, I'm just going to pick up in verse 17. He says, "And take." It's an imperative mood, so it's a uh, it's a command. The helmet of the salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Machira is the sword here. It's a sidearm. It was 12 to 18 inches uh, long. It's not the broad sword that the uh, those in the horses of Calvary would would go like this, try to remove the heads of their opponents. That's what the helmet of salvation was to protect. So this is a sidearm. It's shorter. Uh, It's more precise. It's the word of God. Now, the Greek word for word in verse 17, the word of God, is horema. It's not logos, which is the big scheme of things, Horema has the idea of a specific application to a specific situation. That's the sword of the Spirit. I remember the first time, Brenda and I had just been married about a year, we had two JWs knock at our door. And I remember thinking, right? Man, I'm going to give it to them. And before it was over, I realized I had like a, two-inch dagger with a dull blade going and it was not a good battle at all but it inspired me then to start studying and rightly applying the word of truth this is god's word it becomes an effective sword when we study it we memorize it then the holy spirit can call it up rightly apply it bam that's where you get god's blessing in the situation so back to exodus chapter 17 Point four again, the flesh must be brought under Christ's control. Mortification will happen as we yield to his control. Um, oh, there's just so many things that we could um, say here. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recounted in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. What does Amalek represent? The flesh. There's a coming day, beloved, when all that defiles God, all that opposes God, is going to be taken out of the way. Isn't that wonderful? Can you imagine what it will be like to not have another stinking thought ever again, to never think ill about a brother and sister, to never tire in praising the Lord, never have your mind drift away, never get tired of doing what you know the Lord wants you to do. I mean, what will it be like, um, in the twinkling of an eye, a shout, to be instantly in the presence of infinite beauty, infinite grace, infinite mercy, infinite love, the outshining glory of God, and we have a body perfectly prepared to give God all the praise that he deserves forever and ever. Everything that's ever burdened your soul will be instantly gone. Everything that's caused you to cry, instantly gone. All the suffering, the fruitfulness will remain, but it will be gone. There's a coming day when God's program for dealing with the flesh is to eradicate it altogether. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We read in uh, Philippians chapter 3 towards end of chapter 20 and 21 that the believer gets a Christ-like body. That means no sin. No sin. So when uh, Nate was telling us about the gospel message Tuesday night um, and that we need to take sides with God, stand with God, take sides against ourselves on the matter of sin. We have this deadly disease. And when we trust Christ as Savior, at that point we're saved from the penalty of sin once and for all forever. Then He's conforming us to the, the person, the excellencies of His Son. He's saving us from the power of sin. That's called sanctification. That's a process, this is an act. And then our salvation is complete by the saving of the body. So in the rapture, glorification occurs and we get a Christ-like body and we'll never have another stinking thought again. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So point number five, the flesh will be removed. It will be completely eradicated. Uh, we know that there's a seven-year tribulation coming uh, after uh, Satan and his angels are put in the, late, the uh, bottomless pit for a thousand years. Christ will rule on uh, the earth. He'll set up his literal earthly political kingdom as he offered Israel. Uh, Jerusalem will be the religious center of the world. All the nations will come before him. Satan's loosed at the end of that. He deceives those who still have the carnal nature from Adam. They'll follow him. Can you imagine that? A thousand years of paradise on earth and man still rejects God. I've actually had people tell me, you know, if I'd been in a garden, I wouldn't have eaten of that tree, that bad tree. I said, it wasn't a bad tree. This is a knowledge of good and evil. it's just bad if you ate from it, right? They say no, I, I wouldn't have eaten. I said, you come from the man who ate from it. And just to prove the point, the last man on earth living in paradise still rebels <laughs> against the Lord. Uh, the last man will still go his own way. We are wicked and depraved through and through. And salvation is only in the Lord. Then he says this, verse 15, Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. All right, beloved. So until death or the rapture, You are going to continue to war against the flesh. It's going to be with you. God is going to give you every provision to mortify it. Uh, We were learning this morning uh, in our morning devotions over in the lower pines that um, we were crucified with Christ. That's a perfect act of God that lasts forever. We've been carved out of the world. We've been crucified to the world. A perfect act for together... Forever, but we must yield ourselves reckoning what God has already done in a practical way, day after day after day. So, until glorification or till death, we're going to keep battling the Amalekites. And we need the bread from heaven, the bread of life from heaven. We need the spiritual wherewithal, the Holy Spirit drinking from the rock. We need the sword of the Spirit. We need to understand it. And we need to continually mortify, 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 making no provision for the flesh. This is God's program for dealing with the flesh. Here we see it in Exodus chapter 17. We go to the New Testament. It's expanded out for us and explained. Let me just review these points and then I'll close. Point one. God does not recognize the imposed rights of the flesh, the perceived rights of the flesh. God doesn't ask his people to war until they've eaten of the the bread from heaven, which he provides, and they've drank from the spiritual rock. Number three, victory below is determined by the, the intercession above. Save strength for prayer. Save strength for praying. Number four, the flesh must be brought under Christ's control. It must be mortified. Number five, the flesh in a coming day will be completely eradicated and removed. But number six, until then, from generation to generation, there's going to be this ongoing battle. And I have to tell you, the more I grow in Christ, the more I realize just how bad I am. Oswald Chambers said, measure your spiritual growth by your sensitivity to sin. And it's really true. Measure your spiritual growth by your sensitivity to sin. The more we understand how bad we are and how great he is, that's when the Lord gets the glory out of us. Amen? Father, again, we thank you for this text. Um, It's amazing, Lord, all the provision that you've given for us. We pray, Father, that we might lay hold of it. We pray that we would not be inserting rights of our own that are outside of your rights. We pray, Father, that we might be feeding on the Lord Jesus, his word. We might be drawing strength through your spirit, walking in the spirit as we serve you. We pray, Father, that we might make intercession before you, knowing that the Lord within us longs to give victory and that we don't have to live defeated lives. We can have victorious lives. And Lord, we pray that we would allow the Lord Jesus, to mortify, to completely have control of us. And Lord, until the day of our glorification, we pray that we just press on, uh, press on, continuing to war, continuing to use all that you give us to, so that we can have victory, that we can represent you in a way that would honor you on this earth. And to this end, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.